European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 42, Issue 39. Focus Issue, Thrombosis and Antithrombotic Treatment, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. Thrombosis in peripheral artery disease and thrombotic thrombocytopenia after adenoviral COVID-19 vaccination. This focus issue on thrombosis and antithrombotic treatment starts with the special article Antithrombotic Therapies in Aortic and Peripheral Arterial Diseases in 2021 A consensus document from the ESC Working Group on Aorta and Peripheral Vascular Diseases the ESC Working Group on Thrombosis and the ESC Working Group on Cardiovascular Pharmacotherapy by Victor Aboyans from the University of Limoges in France and colleagues. The aim of this collaborative document is to provide an update for clinicians on the best antithrombotic strategies in patients with aortic and or peripheral arterial diseases. Antithrombotic therapy is a pillar of optimal medical treatment for these patients at very high cardiovascular risk. While the number of trials on antithrombotic therapies in patients with aortic or peripheral arterial diseases is substantially smaller than for those with coronary artery disease, recent evidence deserves to be incorporated into clinical practice. In the absence of specific indications for chronic oral anticoagulation due to concomitant cardiovascular disease, a single antiplatelet agent is the basis for long-term antithrombotic treatment in patients with aortic or peripheral arterial diseases. Its association with another antiplatelet agent or low-dose anticoagulants is also discussed based on patient's ischemic and bleeding risk as well as therapeutic paths, e.g. endovascular therapy. This consensus document aims to provide guidance on antithrombotic therapy according to arterial disease localizations and clinical presentation. It cannot, however, substitute multidisciplinary team discussions, which are particularly important for patients with uncertain ischemic stroke bleeding balance. Importantly, since this balance evolves over time in an individual patient, a regular reassessment of the antithrombotic therapy is of the utmost importance. Opioids remain the analgesic agent of choice in managing myocardial ischemic pain. However, retrospective studies have raised concerns regarding potential interactions between opioids and oral P2Y12 inhibitors, which are the cornerstone of therapy in myocardial infarction. In an ESC Fast Track article entitled Effects of Lignocaine versus Opioids on Antiplatelet Activity of Ticagrelor, the Local Trial. Emma Juan Fernando from Monash University in Melbourne, Australia and colleagues assess the impact of intravenous fentanyl and lignocaine on the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of ticagrelor in patients with unstable angina and non-ST elevation myocardial infarction and their procedural analgesic efficacy and safety. 70 patients undergoing coronary angiography with ticagrelor loading were included in the pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic analyses of this randomized trial. Plasma ticagrelor levels, two-hour post-loading dose, were significantly lower in the fentanyl arm than the lignocaine treatment arm. 
598 versus 1008 nanograms per milliliter, P equaling 0.014. The area under the plasma time curves for ticagrelor, 1228 versus 2753 nanograms per milliliter per hour, P being less than 0.001, and its active metabolite, 201 versus 447 nanograms per milliliter per hour, P equaling 0.001, were both significantly lower in the fentanyl arm. Expressions of activated platelet glycoprotein 2B stroke 3A receptor and P-selectin were significantly higher at 60 minutes in the fentanyl arm. A higher proportion of patients had high on-treatment platelet reactivity in the fentanyl arm. Both drugs were well tolerated, with a high level of patient satisfaction. The authors conclude that unlike fentanyl, lignocaine does not impair the bioavailability or delay of antiplatelet effect on ticagrelor. Both drugs were well tolerated and effective, with a high level of patient satisfaction for procedural analgesia. Routine procedural analgesia during percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, should be reconsidered and, if performed, lignocaine is a beneficial alternative to fentanyl. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Dominic Angiolillo and Mattia Gali from the University of Florida College of Medicine in Jacksonville, Florida, USA. The authors conclude that although the available evidence on the use of non-opioid analgesics in patients undergoing coronary angiography and PCI are thus far promising, whether they can be safely and effectively used as a mainstream treatment in this setting remains to be seen. Peripheral artery disease, or PAD, is a progressive atherosclerotic disorder. It can be asymptomatic, but often results in profound functional limitation, acute limb-threatening ischemia, and amputation. More than 235 million individuals worldwide are afflicted, and age is one of the most important risk factors for PAD. Despite an elevated risk for major adverse limb events and major adverse cardiovascular events, patients with PAD are less likely to be treated with antithrombotic therapy compared with their coronary artery disease, or CAD, counterparts. In another ESC Fast Track article entitled Low-dose rivaroxaban plus aspirin in older patients with peripheral artery disease undergoing acute limb revascularization. Insights from the Voyager PAD trial. Maury Kranz from the University of Colorado School of Medicine in Aurora, Colorado, USA and colleagues indicate that their secondary analysis of the Voyager trial Rivaroxaban 2.5 mg twice per day plus aspirin 100 mg per day was assessed in older adults. Advanced age is associated with elevated bleeding risk and unfavorable net benefit for dual antiplatelet therapy in chronic coronary artery disease. The risk-benefit of low-dose rivaroxaban in patients greater than or equal to 75 years with PAD after lower extremity revascularization, or LER, has not been described. The primary endpoint was a composite of acute limb ischemia, major amputation, myocardial infarction, ischemic stroke, or cardiovascular death. 
The principal safety outcome was thrombolysis in myocardial infarction, or TIMI, major bleeding, analysed by the pre-specified age cut-off of 75 years. Of the 6,564 patients randomised, 1,330, or 20%, were greater than 75 years. Absolute 3-year Kaplan-Meier cumulative incidence rates for primary efficacy, 23% versus 19%, and safety, 3.5% versus 1.5% endpoints, were higher in elderly versus non-elderly patients. Efficacy of rivaroxaban, p-interaction 0.83, and safety, p-interaction 0.38, was consistent irrespective of age. The combination of intracranial and fatal bleeding was not increased in patients greater than 75 years, 2 rivaroxaban versus 8 placebo. Overall benefits, absolute risk reduction 3.8%, number needed to treat 26 for the primary endpoint, exceeded risks. Absolute risk increase 0.81%, number needed to harm 123 for TIMI major bleeding. The authors conclude that patients greater than or equal to 75 years with PAD are at both heightened ischemic and bleeding risk after LER. No excess harm with respect to major or intracranial or fatal bleeding was seen in older patients, yet numerically greater absolute benefits were observed. This suggests that low-dose rivaroxaban combined with aspirin should be considered in PAD after LER regardless of age. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Greg Lip, S.R. Vallabahaini, Jukian Zhang from the Liverpool Centre for Cardiovascular Science, University of Liverpool and Liverpool Heart and Chest Hospital in the United Kingdom. The authors conclude that one priority is improving clinical risk stratification of PAD patients so rivaroxaban combined with aspirin could potentially benefit those with true high risk but at an acceptable level of major but non-fatal bleeding. In the past 18 months, we have published several studies on the cardiovascular implications of the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic of COVID-19 can only be overcome through a global effort leading to mass vaccination. Yet only recently, Norway and Denmark stopped the Chad Ox NCOV-19 vaccination after several cases of vaccine-induced syndrome of severe thrombosis and thrombocytopenia with fatal outcome were reported. The clinical manifestations and outcomes of thrombosis with thrombocytopenia syndrome, or TTS, after adenoviral COVID-19 vaccination administration are largely unknown due to the rare nature of the disease. In a fast-track article entitled Predictors of mortality in thrombotic thrombocytopenia after adenoviral COVID-19 vaccination, the FAPIC score. J.L. Shin from the Yonsei University College of Medicine in Korea and colleagues aim to analyse the clinical presentation, treatment modalities, outcomes and prognostic factors of adenoviral TTS, as well as identify predictors for mortality. PubMed, Scopus, Embase and Web of Science databases were searched and the resulting articles were reviewed. A total of 6 case series and 13 case reports, 64 patients, of TTS 
after Chad Ox 1 and Cove 19 vaccination were included. The authors performed a pooled analysis and developed a novel scoring system to predict mortality. The overall mortality of TTS after Chadox NCOV-19 vaccination was 36%. In this study, age at or under 60, platelet count below 25 times 10 to the power of 3 per microliter, fibrinogen below 150 mg per deciliter, the presence of intracerebral hemorrhage or ICH, and the presence of cerebral venous thrombosis or CVT was significantly associated with death and were selected as predictors for mortality, one point each. Shin et al. named this novel scoring system FAPIC, fibrinogen, age, platelet count, ICH and CVT, and the C statistics for the FAPIC score was 0.837. Expected mortality increased with each point increase in the FAPIC score, ranging from 2.08% to 90.05%. The FAPIC scoring model was internally validated through cross-validation and bootstrapping, then externally validated on a panel of TTS patients after AD26-CoV2S administration. The authors conclude that fibrinogen level, age, platelet counts and the presence of ICH and CVT were significantly associated with mortality in patients with TTS and the FAPIC score, constituting of these risk factors, could predict mortality. In a fast-track manuscript entitled Immune Complexes, Innate Immunity and Netosis in Chadox-1 Vaccine-Induced Thrombocytopenia, Sver Holm from the Oslo University Hospital in Norway and colleagues reported five cases of vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia, or VITT, seven to ten days after receiving the first dose of the CHAD-OX-1 NCOV-19 adenoviral vector vaccine against coronavirus disease 2019, or COVID-19. They aim to investigate the pathogenic immunological responses operating in these patients. The authors assessed circulating inflammatory markers by immune assays and immune cell phenotyping by flow cytometry analyses and performed immunoprecipitation with antiplatelet factor, or PF, 4 antibody in plasma samples, followed by mass spectrometry from all five patients. A thrombus was retrieved from the sinus sagittal superior of one patient, analyzed by immunohistochemistry and flow cytometry. Precipitated immune complexes revealed multiple innate immune pathway triggers for platelet and leukocyte activation. Plasma contained increased levels of innate immune response cytokines and markers of systemic inflammation, extensive degranulation of neutrophils, and tissue and endothelial damage. Blood analysis showed activation of neutrophils and increased levels of circulating H3CIT, DSDNA, and myeloperoxidase DNA complex. The thrombus had extensive infiltration of neutrophils formation of neutrophil extracellular traps, or NETs, and LGG deposits. The authors conclude that their results show that anti-PF4 stroke polyanion LGG-mediated thrombus formation in VITT patients is accompanied by a massive innate immune activation, 
and particularly the fulminant activation of neutrophils, including netosis. These results provide novel data on the immune response in this rare adenoviral vector-induced VITT. The two manuscripts by Shin et al. and Holm et al. are accompanied by a double editorial by Gene Connors from the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Connors concludes that what is clear is that VITT is a rare occurrence that we can now diagnose with identifiable clinical and laboratory features and can be appropriately treated, resulting in lower mortality. Although use of the adenoviral vector vaccine was put on temporary hold in some countries, use by most has understandably resumed, given the more than 4 million deaths that have resulted from the SARS-CoV-2 infection. Continued investigation to unravel the etiology triggers of VITT using clinical and laboratory findings is warranted, not only to understand the pathophysiology of VITT and improve treatment, but to identify critical knowledge that can be used in the future. With 3.9 billion doses of the vaccine administered around the world to date, there is hope that this pandemic will soon be over. Mental stress substantially contributes to the initiation and progression of human disease, including cardiovascular conditions. In a translational research article entitled Acute Mental Stress Drives Vascular Inflammation and Promotes Plaque Destabilization in Mouse Atherosclerosis, Julia Hinterdobler from the Technical University Munich in Germany and colleagues aim to investigate the underlying mechanisms of these contributions since they remain largely unclear. Here, they show in humans and mice that leukocytes deplete rapidly from the blood after a single episode of acute mental stress. Using cell tracking experiments in animal models of acute mental stress, the authors found that stress exposure leads to prompt uptake of inflammatory leukocytes from the blood to distinct tissues, including heart, lung, skin, and if present, atherosclerotic plaques. Mechanistically, they found that acute stress enhances leukocyte influx into mouse atherosclerotic plaques by modulating endothelial cells. Specifically, acute stress increases adhesion molecule expression and chemokine release through locally derived norepinephrine. Either chemical or surgical disruption of norepinephrine signaling diminished stress-induced leukocyte migration into mouse atherosclerotic plaques. The authors conclude that their data show that acute mental stress rapidly amplifies inflammatory leukocyte expansion inside mouse atherosclerotic lesions and promotes plaque vulnerability. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Amir Lehrman from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, USA and colleagues. Lerman and colleagues conclude by pointing out that the study by Hinterdobler et al. helps to identify several key challenges and next steps in our attempt to learn more about this intriguing and relevant area by shedding light on the central role of the endothelium as the effector cells of the neuroimmune response to MS. The issue is also complemented by a discussion forum contribution. In a commentary entitled the neutrophil lymphocyte ratio and incident atherosclerotic events. The impact of racial differences. Philippe Girard from the Sorbonne Université UMRS 
1166 in France and colleagues comment on the recent publication. The neutrophil lymphocyte ratio and incident atherosclerotic events. Analyses from five contemporary randomized trials by Nicholas Adamstein from the Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts, USA. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.